Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I'm so excited to have you here. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and REI, so I'm a fertility doctor, and every single day, I talk to people about their bodies, their hormones, and their fertility. And the one thing that I really want to talk to you today about is when something like fertility or a fertility evaluation is really telling you about your overall health. And a lot of times, people view fertility in a bucket. Oh, I'll get to that when I get to that. Oh, that would be nice to have kids, but not essential. Everybody's different, obviously. But so often, today, in fact, today I saw two patients and their story, their medical history, their fertility test thus far really gave me concern that they have something else going on with their health. And so today is all about your tests and your fertility, your reproductive health, and understanding what that might reflect about your entire health. And y'all know this is my soapbox because so often people act like, oh yeah, fertility, periods, reproductive health, that's its own thing. Like the rest of your body or the rest of the things you do or your other health doesn't impact your hormonal system, which is wild because the endocrine system by definition is a connection of hormone and receptor pathways and it ebbs and flows in response to the world around you and it is supposed to, right? We've all heard of fight or flight, meaning here you are and a bear walks up to you. Suddenly your entire body is going to shift. You are going to stop digesting food, redirect blood flow, going to your heart, going to your lungs, going to your muscles. You're not going to be making high-ordered complex decisions. You're thinking all your attention is going to survival, adrenaline. You can feel your heart beating. Your heart may slow down. I mean, of course, I've not been chased by a bear, so I don't know. But this idea that the body is made to respond to acute stressors and The world around us is a stressor. The world is so different. There's chronic stressors, there's toxins, there's disease, there's illness. And of course, your endocrine system and your hormones are meant to respond to that. But when a fertility evaluation is telling you more about your overall health and what should you know? So that's what I'm going to dive into today. Basic facts about the fertility evaluation 
about your medical history, warning signs that there may be something else going on and what you should know. So this is about your basic health. It's a great way to start the new year. Happy new year. And about how that really connects with our hormones and our reproductive system. If you're new here, I'm so honored that you have joined us. The As A Woman podcast, it's been around for a while and I'm so honored to have 4 million downloads, all of your love and support, really beyond my wildest dreams when I started this. But here we are. It's going to be the best year yet. I can just feel it. A few things. We answer questions at the end of every episode. And these questions are actually asked on Instagram. So you can go to Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and you can ask your questions on Monday. And then we will get to them at the end of some of these episodes on Instagram or over on the newsletter. So I always say weekly, but whenever we get to the newsletter, there's a newsletter with favorite things and discount codes and recipes and fertility in the news and some of these questions. So you can sign up for that at nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. Over on the website, you'll also find information about the courses. We have the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course and the IVF guide. We also have information about the resources page where you can learn more about all the content I have ever put out. Just type it in the search bar like PCOS and you're going to get so much information. Last thing is that you can call and leave a voicemail at 657-229-3672. Again, 657-229-3672. And we will happily answer your voicemail question. These are my favorite, favorite episodes. All right, but today we are going to dive into what does your fertility tell you about your overall health? I'm actually going to talk a little bit about male and female fertility. So to take it from both sides, and I'm going to start with male first. So when you go to the fertility doctor, the basic thing that's going to happen from the male end is going to be a review of medical history and a semen analysis. Honestly, that's it. The blood work that may be drawn at a fertility clinic, the basic blood work is going to just be infectious disease testing, which is an FDA requirement. And a lot of people just check it at the beginning to get it out of the way and genetic carrier screening. Are you a carrier for any diseases? Not because this impacts your general health, but because if you and your partner carry the same disease, you could have a baby that could be very, very sick. And that might be a reason why you change your fertility treatment plan. So what this means is for the male, we're getting most of the information from that history you're giving me and from the semen analysis. In this semen analysis, okay, so what we're looking for, volume of sperm, the whole sample, volume of the ejaculate, the concentration of sperm per milliliter of the ejaculate, the motility, how it moves, the pH, are there any white blood cells or red blood cells, and the shape of the sperm. So there's more than just sperm that's being evaluated inside the semen sample. And what we're really looking for is to see that we have enough of a sample to get these other values. And this is why, number one, it's so important to follow the instructions. Have the appropriate abstinence interval, which for most places is going to be two to three days, and to make sure that if something goes off, you tell your team. You don't want to have this entire workup if most your ejaculate didn't make it into the cup or if you collected well before the window of time they told you to or if you put it in the freezer or something else. So if you did something that seems off or wasn't on the instructions, tell them. Something went wrong, tell them. 
that information is very helpful when we are evaluating something because we might say, hey, let's redo this. All right, so if we're walking through the different values and what they could mean overall. So one is going to be a low volume. So the normal volume or the low end of normal, let's remember semen analysis reference ranges are just giving us the low end of normal. Most people are well above this. 1.5 mLs. So when you have a low volume, especially if it's less than one mL, then there's a few different things that we're worried about. So the very first and most common is just incomplete collection, as we discussed. So let's rule that one out. Everything you have got into the cup. Then we have something called retrograde ejaculation. So this is actually when you ejaculate, sperm goes backwards into the bladder instead of out the ejaculatory system. And this can happen due to prior surgery, due to spinal cord injury, due to diabetes, having multiple sclerosis, autoimmune disease, certain high blood pressure medications. So there are a variety of causes. So if you have a very low volume, and especially if there's not very much sperm, you can analyze the urine. And then if you see sperm in the urine, then you know somebody has retrograde ejaculation. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan, it's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And then other causes of a low volume could be having low testosterone. So remember that the body is making testosterone and sperm at the same time. 
pituitary gland is sending out FSH and LH, which is telling the body to make testosterone and to make sperm. So if your body's not making testosterone, then it's not making sperm. Also see this with testicular atrophy, testicular failure, and you can also see it when there's any type of ejaculatory duct obstruction. So one of these could be something called congenital bilateral absence of the vas deferens. This is where you're making sperm and you're actually making it fine, but there's no vas deferens. There's no connecting tube to get the sperm from the testes into the ejaculate. Therefore, you have a very low volume. You actually classically have low volume and you have acidity because you're not getting all the seminal fluid either. All right, so immediately when I see low volume on a semen analysis, I'm asking, did we have a full collection? And then if not, going down some of these other things. Do we have any suspicion for obstruction? Do we have any concern for retrograde ejaculation? What about signs and symptoms of having low testosterone? So how is our energy, our sleep, our mood? Can we achieve or maintain an erection? Can we ejaculate? How's our libido? Those things can all be concerning if we might have low T. And remember, low T can come from either testicular. Testes can be in failure. They can not make any sperm. They also can come from the brain. So the brain might not be sending out the signals to do so. And so this transitions over to low sperm count. So the concentration of sperm should be over 15 million per milliliter. And then when it starts to become low, this is in ranges of oligospermia or azospermia if you have none. If you have a, the lower the sperm count, the more concerning we are. And so if you have a sperm count that's very low, you wanna go and include an endocrine evaluation. So your total testosterone, your FSH, your LH, a prolactin, a thyroid. So we are trying to get to the bottom of why you have a low sperm count. Is it, this is just how you were born? Sometimes that's actually the case. So we can see things like, oh, you have some of that obstruction, whether it's CBAVD, whether it's ejaculatory duct obstruction because you had a prior vasectomy, you had chlamydia or gonorrhea, you had tuberculosis. Those might be situations where everything's coming back fine in your hormones. So your body's making LH, FSH, testosterone fine. The testes are functioning fine. You're just not seeing sperm into the ejaculate because there's an obstruction. But then we go through the variety of abnormalities. So if you have low counts, low T, and then high FSH and LH, then we know that this is essentially testicular failure. Just like in ovarian failure for women, brain sending out all the FSH and LH it can, testes not responding. This could be prior cancer, radiation, chemo, testicular trauma or torsion, infection like mumps when you are a child. That's why we really like you to get that MMR vaccine when you're young. It could also be genetic, Klinefelter's Y chromosome microdeletion. Could be from having undescended testes because we don't like to have those testes up in the body even at a very young age those high temperatures can damage their structure. Then you have the opposite. We have a low sperm count, but you have low FSH or LH. Essentially, this is brain. The brain is not sending any of the signals to tell the testes to make sperm, just like hypohypo in women, meaning is there something in the brain? This makes us think pituitary issues, prolactin, thyroid. Do you have some tumor? 
Is there a stress component? What could be going on? And then there's a few kind of other things like androgen resistance. Taking testosterone, of course, is always going to be a top one. Remember, do not take any testosterone if you're trying to get pregnant. Then we have motility and we have morphology. So if I see somebody and there's a really not great movement of the sperm, I'm really worried about overall health and what can impact motility. Is there a lot of inflammation? Do we have an infection? Do we have something undiagnosed that can cause sperm issues like diabetes? Have we been exposed to something like chronic marijuana use, which we know impacts sperm motility? Very similarly with morphology, if we have a high number of abnormally shaped sperm, we're concerned about DNA damage, what is the body being exposed to in these circumstances? So really do a big review of kind of our social history and what we're exposed to. And then we also have to think about things like obesity, how that impacts sperm function, which it does because when you are overweight, your body has fat cells and fat cells have more estrogen. And essentially this tells the brain, we don't need as much testosterone. So it doesn't send out the right signals to make sperm or to make testosterone. So this is why obesity alone can actually lead to low T, low libido, low sperm counts. And then also just saying your doctors need to know all the things you're taking. So medications that you might be taking for hair loss can actually make your sperm counts worse. Lavender oil baths, yep, it can suppress gonadotropin production, the LH and the FSH, just like taking estrogen would or just like being overweight would because of the estrogen-like properties from lavender. We also see certain medications like steroids or certain types of antidepressants or medications for bipolar disorder might impact this. So ultimately, we're getting a lot of information from that semen analysis about how your brain is functioning, your hormones are functioning, if you could have an obstructive etiology, if anything you're doing is influencing your sperm. And that's just from the get-go. That's just from the semen analysis itself. The red flags in the medical history, testicular surgery, testicular torsion, having undescended testes as a child, being overweight or obese, having diabetes, especially if it's uncontrolled, having really bad thyroid disease, chronic marijuana use, oh, chronic pain medication, opiates themselves actually can suppress gonadotropins as well. So if you're on chronic opiate use because of that back pain that you have, that's also a red flag that you might not be making as much sperm. So careful attention to the history. Semen analysis is giving us a lot of information here. All right, if we switch gears over to women and what we're evaluating and what your fertility is telling you about your body. Your period is giving us so much information. So in men, we get this semen analysis, which is giving us a lot in addition to the history, but it's not as simple for women. Nothing is. But if we're looking at the menstrual cycle, remember that the menstrual cycle, having a period every month or at a regular cyclic interval is a sign that your brain, ovaries, and uterus are all working in perfect harmony. I like to imagine you have all the eggs you're ever going to have in a vault inside your ovary. At the start of one month, a group of eggs all comes out of that vault. Each egg is in a follicle. Brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH, and FSH is well-named. It gets one of those follicles to grow. As that follicle grows, it makes estrogen, which gets the lining to grow, gets ready for a potential egg. 
when estrogen's high enough, you ovulate. After ovulation, that follicle turns into a corpus luteum. Now makes progesterone at reliable pulsatile intervals in response to those LH pulses from the brain. That corpus luteum can live about 12 to 14 days. If you're not pregnant, it's then going to die. You will then get a period and the process starts over. So number one, if you are not on hormonal contraceptive, we have to remember that hormonal contraception is not bad. It's not going to impact your long-term fertility. But none of the stuff I'm about to say applies because I don't get a real analysis of your period. So it's not a vital sign right now. Doesn't mean it wasn't in the past. Doesn't mean it won't be in the future. It's just not right now. So if I go and I look at somebody who is not on hormonal contraception and ask about their period, what I should hear is that your period comes within a couple days of expected every single month. Meaning even if you just take your phone and you put in your calendar app the day your period starts and you look, it should be at a pretty predictable interval. What this really means is that your cycle should be within a couple days of when you expect. You should be able to put your finger on it and you should see it. And that period or that menstrual bleed is really a reflection of all of these hormones communicating together. So it requires your brain sending out both FSH and LH at the appropriate times because what happens? FSH stimulates that follicle to grow. As it grows, it makes estrogen. So your ovary is then responding to the brain And that estrogen is going to stimulate the growth of the endometrium. So the uterus is responding to the estrogen from the ovary. And that estrogen is going to feed back to the brain. So the brain knows an egg is growing and sends out less FSH. Then when estrogen is high enough, it's going to stimulate the body to have that surge of LH from the brain. That LH is going to trigger the ovary to release the egg from that follicle. And the egg will then hopefully be picked up by the fallopian tube. The follicle then turns into a corpus luteum. This is just the most fascinating part to me. And that corpus luteum gets an immense amount of blood supply and it turns over into a completely different hormone factory. And now it loves to make progesterone as its hormone de jour. And it's making progesterone in response to these LH pulses from the brain. So progesterone goes up and down and up and down. If you get pregnant, then what's going to happen is that pregnancy is going to come in and make HCG and that HCG is going to stimulate the corpus luteum to keep making progesterone. You have missed your period and you get a positive pregnancy test because HCG is what you test in the pregnancy test. And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Know my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. 
If you're not pregnant, which of course is what happens to most people in most months, then your progesterone is going to drop. The corpus luteum can only live again those 12 to 14 days. No longer is going to live. It's going to collapse. Progesterone drops. Your body then senses this and your uterus sheds its lining and the ovaries prepare themselves to have another group of small eggs ready to respond to FSH and the cycle continues. Now, if you're having regular periods alone on a history, you tell me that your periods are regular, you track them, you know that they are, or you detect ovulation with one of the methods of fertility awareness, be it ovulation predictor kits or basal body temperature or cervical mucus, and you know I'm ovulating at this set interval, I'm getting my period at this set interval, that is telling me so much about how your body's working. And when you're not, when you're having irregular periods, even if they are irregularly regular, and this is actually so much more common than we think. And this is why a lot of apps or phone-based trackers mispredict when your period is going to be, or when you're ovulating. And that's because that's just using the calendar method, taking that corpus luteum length and subtracting it and applying averages, but you're a unique individual. And what really is interesting is that the follicular phase tends to be what really varies cycle to cycle much more than the luteal phase. And as we have certain hormonal changes, we're going to see a response in our body or our period. And these all start with ovulatory dysfunction. So if I always explain the stages of ovulatory dysfunction is going to go from perfect cyclic periods to a short luteal phase. So your luteal phase isn't 12 to 14 days to my periods are starting to space out or get irregularly regular, then I'm actually skipping months and now I have no period. If we view ovulatory dysfunction as a spectrum, we'll start to see that a lot of these things aren't just light switch on, light switch off, perfect or nothing. There's a lot of in between because our hormones are dynamic and they shift in different ways. So when you are not having periods, that's called amenorrhea. And if you have amenorrhea, the situation that's happening is either the brain is not sending out the right hormones. That's called hypothalamic, hypogonadism. People shorten this to hypohypo. And a lot of times people call this FHA or functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, but that's really a very specific version. When you think about hypohypo, hypothalamus, hypothalamus sends out GNRH, which tells the pituitary gland to send FSH and LH. It's like a Morse code system. So the hypothalamus is the control center and really gets the signal back from the ovary and then tells the pituitary gland. Now, that might not work, and it could be really either pituitary or hypothalamus. So this amenorrhea could come from both ends. Extreme hypothyroidism, a pituitary tumor, those are definitely more pituitary level. When you think about FHA or functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, the hypothalamus has shut off. It has said, we are not in a physical state where we can carry a baby. There's a lot of different mechanisms that get here, but the most common is caloric deficiency, extreme exercise, eating disorders, extreme stress. That can come from a lot of different scenarios. But the body, the brain interprets all of our hormones. Are you running from a bear? Are you in a famine? Is this not a good time to be pregnant? It's going to shut down your period to prevent that from happening. In those circumstances, brain is shut off. So the classic blood work here for hypohypo is FSH, LH, TSH, prolactin, and estradiol. So what you're checking when you have amenorrhea is 
If this is hypo-hypo, my brain's not sending things out, then my FSH and LH should be low and my estrogen's low. Ovaries can't respond if there's nothing happening. If it's induced because of thyroid or prolactin abnormalities, that's what the TSH and the prolactin will detect as well. So just think about the brain cannot send out the hormones for a variety of reasons. Personally, I think there is also a version of hypothalamic dysfunction where you're not in amenorrhea, it's not shut off, but you're having some ovulatory issues or potentially luteal phase insufficiency because of some of these feedback mechanisms. This can be because of a lot of different things. It can be stress. It can be dieting. It can be obesity because fat cells make estrogen telling the brain to not send out as much FSH or LH. So there's a variety of reasons why that it might not just be true amenorrhea, but you might see some hypothalamic dysfunction. Then you have the ovaries could be in failure. So ovarian failure is where they're not going to respond. In this circumstance, your brain is sending out all the FSH it can. An FSH level over 40 is essentially diagnostic of this. Your brain's sending out super high FSH. Your ovaries have a low estrogen. They're not responding. They're not growing an egg. This is menopause, premature menopause, and it might be due to a genetic issue like fragile X, or you might be a mosaic for Turner syndrome, have something abnormal in your chromosomes. So a karyotype should be checked. It also could be autoimmune. So we actually see premature ovarian failure and diminished ovarian reserve in patients who have autoimmune disease just in general. And whether it's the chronic inflammation, the chronic illness, those antibodies also attacking the ovary, even though your primary disease is elsewhere. Autoimmune disease never impacts just one organ itself. There's a lot of overlap. And so that can be a cause. And this is where I might see somebody who says, oh, I have no period and I'm not worried about it because I feel great or whatever. I run a marathon, so I'm sure it's just because I work out so much. But then we go and check labs and we actually find out, no, you're an ovarian failure. In both of these scenarios, it doesn't really matter how you got here. If your estrogen is low, chronic hypoestrogenism is so bad for the female body, your brain, your bones, your heart, it all needs estrogen. So whether it's because your ovaries can't make it or your brain's not telling your ovaries to, it does not matter. You need estrogen replaced for your health and your longevity. Longevity, y'all, to be able to live to the age that you should live, you need to be on estrogen. You don't need to be having these very long periods of time where you're so estrogen low. That's just not good for you. Now, in the same light, if you can get pregnant, it's going to depend. So if you're an ovarian failure, for the most part, you're not going to get pregnant. The longer you've had no period, the longer it's gone on, the lower the likelihood it is. And you're looking at, you could carry a baby if you have a uterus, but that would be a donor egg or a donor embryo baby. And then we have, if your brain's just not sending out the hormones, well, we often can give you those hormones in injectable form, but it's very hard sometimes to get somebody to respond appropriately because you've lost the normal check and balance of the brain and the ovary. There's no feedback. And so you might over-respond and get these high-order multiples. So a lot of times, patients will need to progress on to actually IVF in order to be able to get pregnant. Now, you might also not have a period, and this could be either obstruction or damage. So scar tissue inside the uterus or having some type of blockage like a cervical stenosis. If you've never, ever had a period, then you could have these different types of septums or an imperfect hymen. But in the world where you had a period and now you don't, 
if you had postpartum bleeding, you had a hemorrhage, it needed an emergency procedure, you got a blood transfusion, you had an infection, you had to have a DNC for a second trimester loss. Those are circumstances where hearing that information in your history combined with you're not having a period or you're having a very light period, the consistency is weirder. That's raising my flag. I'm concerned that the uterine integrity of the endometrium and the regeneration process has been damaged. So your period's telling me so much. Also, when it comes to your period and the bleed, and another cause of amenorrhea could be from prolonged inhibition of growth of the lining. So you've been preventing the lining from growing from chronic progesterone exposure. And this is either from continuous birth control pills, especially if you took them for a long time without a pill break, or a progesterone IUD, a progesterone implant, a progesterone shot like Depo-Provera. We'll take Depo-Provera as the one exception. One shot protects you from ovulating for three months. So it's birth control for three months. However, one shot can prevent you from ovulating for up to 18 months. So do not take Depo-Provera if you want to get pregnant in the next year and a half. The other methods, once you remove the progesterone, whether you take out the implant or you take out the IUD, it's gone. However, the longer you had that, the more denuded the endometrium is going to be and it might take time for it to grow back. This is why I usually recommend that before you try to get pregnant or want to be pregnant, you take out your progesterone IUD three to six months ahead of time so you give your body back some time to get that period. It doesn't mean you're not ovulating because you might be ovulating, making the estrogen. The uterus receptors have just been downregulated so much, there's not enough lining to bleed. But we don't know. You also could have an ovulatory problem. And I've had a patient who was on continuous pills and had no period, no period, stopped her pills, didn't have a period, then found out she was in almost ovarian failure, had extremely diminished ovarian reserve. And luckily we found it very early. We were able to do IVF and get embryos. But the point is, I've also had a patient who stopped the pill and never got a period back, was in ovarian failure, ended up having a chromosome issue and had to get pregnant with donor egg. So there's so many different scenarios here. And then when we go back to irregular or absent cycles, this could be thyroid or prolactin. This could also be PCOS. So we've got PCOS on the spectrum and this is on the other end of the side versus being out of eggs. So in PCOS, what is happening is now you have so many eggs inside that ovary that when the brain sends out its normal signal, because FSH is normal in PCOS, the ovary gets the signal too diluted amongst all the follicles and you don't get a reliable or predictive response to ovulation. You might not respond at all one month. You might the next. It can totally vary. And then the ovary starts really shifting gears and starts making testosterone, which leads to metabolic symptoms, insulin resistance, increased weight circumference, etc. In PCOS, the brain and the ovary communicate. There's just dysfunction because the signal is not strong enough. So this is a circumstance where oral medications can actually help you. So things like Clomid or Letrozole can help you get pregnant. They can help the brain send out a stronger signal of FSH and hopefully be enough to get you to ovulate but not in everybody. And PCOS also has a big impact on your health. Those metabolic changes 
keep going in a spiral. And there's a lot of inflammation within the PCOS process. Female body doesn't really like to have that much testosterone and that insulin resistance is inflammatory. So you have to break this cycle of inflammation in order to really feel your best. So the regularity is telling us a lot about the, how the hormones are functioning and how the uterus is responding. The bleeding is also telling us about what may be happening structurally. So certain things can also point to other signs. So if you tell me you have a lot of intermenstrual bleeding, so spotting or weird bleeding between those menstrual bleeds, I'm suddenly concerned you have a polyp, do you have a fibroid on the inside of your uterus? Is it always in the luteal phase? Do you have some luteal insufficiency? Is it implantation bleeding? You shouldn't have it every month. You're not going to have an implantation every month. So that's kind of interesting. Do you have a cervical polyp? Could you have precancerous lesions on your cervix? Is the bleeding actually post-coital or after intercourse? Because now I'm much more worried that it's cervical versus uterine. So in this question about how is your period, is it regular? How is your period pattern? Do you have spotting? That's telling me so much about what might be going on and how it relates to your general health. And so there's circumstances where you're going to come in to a fertility clinic and you might present because you're having a hard time getting pregnant. But some of the initial tests that we're doing are actually going to come back and tell us things that may impact your entire health. So this includes thorough medical history. If there's one thing I can ask of all of you, please stop skimping on the medical history questionnaire. Is it annoying? Sure. But I am calling all of you out who are just breezing through it because you're in a hurry or you don't think it matters. It's not your job to decide what matters. Your job at this moment is to give me all the data you can, as much detail, everything you can, so that I get all the potentially little clues that maybe you don't know are a big deal. And when you put the picture together, it starts to tell me a different story. So your medical history, your menstrual history, the medications you're taking, those are so important, your family history. What about are your periods painful? Because of course we know painful periods, which is so subjective and nobody ever really wants to call their periods painful, but that is a high likelihood of having endometriosis or adenomyosis or even uterine fibroids. So these are all different conditions that could very well impact not just your fertility, but your overall health. Do you know that endometriosis is on that autoimmune spectrum? So you have a much higher likelihood of having an autoimmune disorder. And then what about recurrent miscarriages? Recurrent miscarriages can 100%, they can be genetic, they can be inflammatory, autoimmune. You could have a blood clotting disorder. You might not be able to take birth control pills or the combination of your clotting disorder and birth control and getting on that plane to go on your Europe vacation could result in a blood clot to your lungs that could be deadly or be very, very scary. So your body, these things are so important to us. So when things are not regular or normal, when you're having more than two losses, if it's taking you six months to try to get pregnant or a year, if you're over 35 or under 35, if your periods aren't regular, if you're having spotting, if you're having pain, those things are very, very important to tell us. And then they're going to lead us to an ultrasound and an ultrasound is going to help us look at the uterus and the ovaries, and it's going to lead to some blood work, which is going to help us as well. Ending this discussion, I just want to say also that we'll also check your ovarian reserve or how many eggs do you have. Now, everybody's born with a set number of eggs, 
and you lose eggs every month, as we said. And when you're out of eggs, you're out of eggs. But every month you have a group of eggs that we can see. And yes, there's some variation month to month. And yes, that number might look lower if you're on birth control pills or an IUD, or you've been recently pregnant or breastfeeding. But if that number's low, it might also reflect your health. So in the same spirit as these other things, having low ovarian reserve can tell us that you might have something genetic. You might carry fragile X, which could be passed on to a child. You might choose to do IVF for genetic screening. You might choose to freeze your eggs at an earlier age because now you have a low egg count. You also see the autoimmune disorders or endometriosis are two causes of why people might have diminished ovarian reserve, so a low egg count for their age. So this is going into the full picture when we're trying to see what's going on and then how does that impact your entire health. And then I wouldn't be doing a fertility talk on your whole health if I didn't say things like sexually transmitted diseases, gonorrhea, chlamydia specifically, can impact your fallopian tubes. Please always disclose to us if you've had those in the past. Also, really painful periods or the other signs of endometriosis, pain with intercourse, especially in certain positions or with deep penetration as compared to insertional pain and GI changes when you're on your period. Those can be soft, other subtle signs. And so many patients get diagnosed with IBS when really it is endo. So we need to know about pain, prior infections, and we're only working with what you're giving us. So please give us a really good history when you fill out the questionnaire. Please know that a normal evaluation is going to be blood work for both parties, semen analysis for the male, ultrasound, and then tubal evaluation for the female. And this is going to give us a lot of data about your body, your fertility, but also your overall health. I see patients sometimes view fertility as, and I can see that not everybody wants to have a baby. That's okay. But if you're going to see a fertility doctor and we start to realize some things are off, please get the testing. Please follow up your body, your health. This is your one body. This is your life. If there's things you can do now that are going to make you live longer, feel better, be happier, and potentially improve your quality of life, your chance of getting pregnant, why would you not do them? But you don't know what you don't know. You've got to follow through with the evaluation. And hopefully this episode gave you just a little bit of insight into how our body functions and how a fertility evaluation can tell us a lot about your general health. All right. Well, usually we do a weekly q and I'm going to admit it from this episode because of how long it is, but that Q&A you can submit on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and we will answer some of those questions here on the podcast and we'll answer them in the newsletter and over on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. You can also check out the YouTube videos for more short little bits of information. Thank you, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new. And I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. Hey guys, welcome to The Collective. 
I'm Brianne Halfrich, a 26-year-old bioethics PhD student and clothing brand CEO. Welcome to my podcast where we talk all things health and wellness, navigating your 20s, and becoming the best version of yourself. So sit down, play that episode, and join the collective.